In this episode, I want to trace the history of Christian epistemology over the centuries since the time of Christ. Now, I'm going to skip over the first two, three hundred years just because we don't have as much access to that period of time and uh, so there isn't as much that can be said. But sometime um, during the 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries, a certain uh, perspective on epistemology developed that uh, lasted for probably a millennia after that, uh, bringing us all the way up to the Protestant Reformation. And the perspective went something like this, and, and, and it didn't come to be at this stage all at once, but it sort of developed into this this thing over over several centuries. And the the idea was this, and, and it's not necessarily a bad idea in itself, but it kind of, uh, I think, the degree to which things were done uh, was probably where, where everything went wrong. And the idea was simply that um, human beings can have access to knowledge regarding reality from multiple sources. You know, there's philosophy, there's culture, there's um, a personal experience, there's science, there's uh, revelation like scriptures, there's tradition that, that is passed on from parents to children and from uh, one generation of church people to the next generation of church people and so on. So Christians during this time period, uh, so multiple sources of truth that they can turn to to get information about their beliefs. But um, whenever there was a question as to <clears throat> whether one source was more, more trustworthy than the other, or if there was some kind of conflict and there was need to differentiate between them, the go-to place to make that, that, that decision was the church itself. So um, during this period of time, Christians viewed the church uh, as sort of the arbiter of truth. It was the final judge, it was the final determinant uh, as to which of several perspectives was correct. So the idea was uh, that from the time of the apostles, who had been left in charge of, of Christian theology after, the, after Jesus departed, uh, the apostles uh, transferred that authority and that understanding of reality over to their to their disciples and these to their disciples and so on. So there was a continuous chain <clears throat> of uh, authority going back all the way to Christ. And at each stage in human history, uh, whoever it was that, uh, that was at that point of time part of the clergy, part of the magisterium, uh, had received this authority to, to make judgments regarding theology. So if there was some kind of theological conflict, we see for, you know, all throughout history, all throughout Christian history, uh, <clears throat> clergy from all over the Christian world will come together and have some kind of council. And at this uh, council, they would uh, discuss, debate, evaluate, and then they would make some decision, and that would be the official uh, stance, Christian stance on whatever particular uh, theological perspective they were dis discussing or debating. Uh, in between these councils, uh, the Pope eventually had the authority to, to make those kinds of decisions as well. So for a large segment of, of Christian history, 
the idea was that God has communicated with humanity through multiple sources, but the church was put in charge of deciding which of all these sources was correct in any given instance. Um, by the time the Protestant Reformation came around, however, that theory or that hypothesis uh, started to be significantly questioned. And there's a lot of a lot to this. Uh, I'm going to refer uh, listeners to any book by Alistair McGrath, uh, History of the Reformation, uh, Christianity's Dangerous Idea, and a few others that he has written about this. Uh, and there's many other modern historians that have a very good grasp of, of that segment of history. But um, close to the Protestant Reformation, people started questioning the authority of the church because, for one thing, they, has, they had uh, started to gain access to ancient manuscripts and discovered a lot of discrepancies be- between uh, what early Christians believed and what the people of the... Uh, <clears throat> middle of the second millennium believed and things like that and then there was a lot of um, uh, can't think of the word now um, corruption in the church uh, all kinds of things were being done that were clearly wrong uh, and then there's also political strife because the church kind of controlled a large part of Europe but it was uh, you know the the uh, secular authorities wanted to have more control over their own domains and to reduce the power of the Pope and all this stuff. So all these things were happening at a, kind of simultaneously that made it possible for the Protestant Reformation to take place. But for the Protestant Reformation to take place, there had to be a rejection of church authority because otherwise, uh, naturally, the Reformation would be illegitimate. If, if, in fact, God had ordained the church to be in charge of truth, uh, you know, rebelling against the church was more or less rebelling against God. But the Protestant Reformation switched authority from the church to the Bible. And we're all familiar with the slogan, Sola Scriptura, and, you know, the priesthood of all believers and all this, all these different common phrases that most Christians have heard before. Um, but once the scripture was given that same authority, uh, there there came a major question regarding um, which interpretation of Scripture is correct, because different people started reading the Bible and coming to different conclusions. Uh, So what you have after the Reformation, you have several splits, uh, and some of the splits were purely political, others were doctrinal as well, but you have uh, uh, splits between the Lutherans and the Reformed churches, the England kind of started its own thing with the Anglican Church, uh, and then there's a, a something known as the Radical Reformation with uh, people like the Anabaptists who kind of took a different turn, and I'll come back to this in the next episode. But you have all these different perspectives on what the Bible teaches. But at the same time as this is going on, the minute the Reformation started and, and the power of the Catholic Church was somewhat weakened, you have a different kind of revolution taking place uh, in the philosophy arena, uh, known as the Enlightenment. Uh, so there's a lot to say on the Enlightenment, and we won't be able to cover that uh, too much in this episode. But philosophers during that era um, came to a very different perspective on um, how uh, to understand reality. And they laid the philosophical foundation uh, that made uh, the scientific revolution possible. 
So you have all these major changes in philosophy, in science, in, in, the, in the intellectual world. Um, now, science um, began to study the world in a kind of a different way, and it even moved into the realm of history and archaeology and so on. And now people turned these new tools, these new methods of studying the world and reality uh, on Christianity itself. So they began asking questions, uh, questioning authority, questioning the scripture itself. And uh, <clears throat> they started treating the scripture as a human document and evaluating it and testing it from that perspective. So uh, by this point in time... Um, we mentioned how authority has shifted from the church to the scripture, but there were two major things that brought that perspective into question. One was the fact that the people who did follow scripture as the ultimate authority couldn't agree with each other as to what the scripture said. And the other major issue was, you know, this this uh, enlightenment and this new perspective the, this, in science, uh, the, the new way of understanding reality that was bringing scripture itself into question. So by this point in time, there's something of a crisis in Christianity and people um, start questioning whether um, Christianity is going to survive over the next several centuries. And at this time, uh, a new attempt to build theology uh, not on um, any kind of authority like the church or scripture or uh, the Holy Spirit or anything like that, but but on human reason and science. Um, so some of the ways uh, that people attempted to do this was, for example, to say um, <clears throat> that uh, we can use uh, morality as a basis for Christian theology as a foundation. Uh, the idea that there is such a thing as <clears throat> as right or wrong in in, in the world, uh, it's evidence that um, some type of supernatural being exists, and so maybe morality can be used and become that basis for theology. Um, a little bit later, somebody like Schleiermacher comes along and says, well, the one thing that humanity has in common is that we all share this sort of uh, innate sense of a need to depend on, on something bigger than us, <clears throat> an inner um, craving for for a, a higher being, somebody higher to, to look up to and so on. So this becomes a new way to frame theology, a new way to, to build theology and to, to build it up rationally from the ground up uh, as a way to respond to the criticism coming to Christianity from uh, all these new things that were being discovered at this point in history. So we have what is known today as liberal theology being developed where people start to try to reason themselves into a, um, a certain perspective on reality. Now we fast forward several decades, maybe even a century or so into the future, and by this time liberal theology has had its its chance to develop and to to kind of show what it can do and how it functions in the real world, so to speak. And uh, then we have a, a period of time of something of a crisis in, in history. You know, we have the the First and Second World War. And people are starting to realize that whatever liberal Christianity is, 
it's not doing for its uh, adherents what early Christianity did for the people of that age. Uh, it's not creating better people. It's not creating the kind of people that can uh, uh, understand the, the moral needs of society and, and, and so on. So we have kind of a, a, a taking of a back step now uh, into something that I call and others have called neo-orthodoxy which is a new perspective that still retains a lot of the foundations of liberal theology and a lot of the epistemic premises, but um, at the same time tries to reconnect with traditional Christianity through the, <clears throat> through the element of Christ himself. So one, one of the ways I've, I've heard this described is that this idea that if we're going to know anything about God, it's only if God can reveal himself to us in some way. So we should have the expectance to see God make an attempt to reveal himself to us. And in fact, history does tell us about a divine figure like Christ coming here and living with us and walking with us and talking to us. So if we could anchor ourselves in the incarnation and in the death of Christ, then that can reconnect us with traditional Christianity, but at the same time, because we're, our anchor is not in Scripture as a whole, which many people at this time believed cannot, could not be taken seriously, uh, but if we just anchor ourselves in Christ, then we can still have a rational foundation, but maintain the connection with Christianity as well. So <clears throat> now the Scripture is not just... Uh, uh, a, a source book for theology is not a truth source in itself as a whole, but it's only a truth source in as much as it points to Christ. So we read scripture uh, to see what it has to say about Christ, not so much what it has to say about history or science or any of the other things where, where um, people were seeing conflict between scripture and reality. Um, so, just to, to backstep a little bit, we, we talked about the Catholic Church, where authority was in the Church itself. We talked about the Protestant Reformation, where authority was in Scripture. Then we had liberal Christianity, where the authority was shifted to reason and science. And now we have a sort of stepping back into neo-Orthodox Christianity, where authority is sort of joined between reason and science and the Christ figure in Scripture. Um, so scripture is just there, and not just scripture, but tradition as well, Christian tradition. <clears throat> they all point to Christ, and that's their main purpose for existence, not, in, not so much in everything else they have to say. So this is sort of a trend that, that we, we follow historically when it comes to Christian epistemology. I should mention one more thing right around the same time, so around the 19th century, uh, another reaction besides New Orthodoxy, another reaction to liberal Christianity was the fundamentalist movement. And this movement sort of decided, you know what, forget everything else. We're just going to take the Bible as fact and not question it anymore. So it's kind of a movement back to the scripture, but going even further than, than the Protestant Reformation, because now... Uh, Scripture is placed beyond the question. It's just uh, kind of set up and pretty much we're going we're gonna to accept that as a fact that Scripture is absolutely correct. It is inerrant. It cannot make mistakes. It's infallible. Everything's perfect about Scripture. And any evidence to the contrary is just going to be ignored. 
so this is, these are kind of the different movements, the different broad movements that we see within the Christian community for the past uh, two millennia. And most of what we run into today can be traced back to this movement. So you could walk up into any church, any denomination here or across the, the planet, and there is some, in, in most cases, I shouldn't say every case, there's some connection to these different movements, um, and uh, the logic of their theology can be traced back to these different epistemic directions that were taken by the church. Okay, let's stop here for this episode, and we'll come back and uh, discuss some of this a little further in the next episode.